This podcast was made possible thanks to Drama Victoria. Hello and welcome to The Aside, a podcast for drama teachers and students. I'm Nick Waxman and today we are talking about women in the theatre. We are just going to skim the surface as we discuss a brief history of women in theatre. We will limit ourselves and our discussion to just females in the theatre and not include how women have been portrayed by male playwrights. That's a whole other thing. So we'll just focus on women as writers, directors and actors through time and their influence now. The aim of this special podcast is not to give the names of every female theatrical creative. That would be impossible and impractical, but it is a guide to start you on a journey to exploring more female artists and creatives. Although I pay some lip service to the women behind the men, we do not discuss the impact that women have had on the major theatre movements. That is just such a wide web, I don't think I could cover it. I am certainly no expert on women in theatre, and so I have used scholars and history buffs to prop up this episode. A full list of sources is available in the episode description. But without any further ado, a brief beginner's guide to some of the women in theatre. You may be interested in checking out The List, which is a list of Australian female and non-binary trans technical artists you can hire for your next production. Go to tna.org.au to find out more. We start with words from Jessica Lamb, a volunteer from the Museum of California. Although much of women's history has been distorted or forgotten, we can be sure that women have always had a powerful presence within the history of performing arts. Amid controversy, triumph and occasional public backlash, the women of theatre have continued to shine throughout the ages. The theatre arose more than two millennia ago in ancient Greece. Since heroines and goddesses were the pinnacles of Greek society, they were often the stars of drama productions. Despite this, the role of women in Greek theatre was otherwise non-existent. Women were strictly prohibited from being on the stage, as it was considered too dangerous to give them such a prominent platform. Even the most renowned characters, like the tragic heroine Antigone, were portrayed exclusively by male actors. During the following centuries, there were few accounts of women participating in theatre. One notable exception was a nun called Hrosvitha, who wrote comedy during the 10th century. Hrosvitha is often credited as the first female playwright in history. Hrosvitha, known even today more generally as the nun of Gandersheim, wrote in Latin her legends, her historical poems, and her comedies, all in Latin. The value of Hosritha's dramas is mostly in the dialogue, in the richness and subtlety of thoughts, in the spirit of genuine poetry, as well as in an aspect of life and a womanhood to which we have not been treated in ancient literature. They are important works of transition, because, though modelled upon and inspired by the classics, it is actually the first to bring forth new elements and new forms on which developed later into dramas of the Christian era. With the arrival of opera during the 16th century, the stage began to open up for women. Some productions even called for women in starring roles. Despite this new development, female opera singers still faced many unjust challenges. Much like ancient Greek societies, Christian rule sought to control women's behaviour. Thus, it was commonly deemed inappropriate and unchaste for women to perform on stage. The women's soprano parts were often replaced by a type of male performer known as a constrati. The purpose of the constrati was to try and achieve the quality of a woman's pitch without allowing females to actually perform in opera productions. During the Elizabethan era, William Shakespeare created some of the most commanding female characters in history. Rosaline, Cordelia, Lady Macbeth, and other Shakespearean icons were among the first female characters to be portrayed with the depth, cunning, and bravery that were frequently bestowed upon male characters. Still, female performers were prohibited from playing these roles. 
This next insert is from Women of Commedia dell'Arte and Artists of Today by Elisa Taylor from the University of Michigan. There is an image called Three Mountebanks on a Trestle Stage featured in Rosalind Kerr's book with a long title, New Developments in Commedia Research, the Italian Actress and the Foundations of Early Modern European Theatre Performing Female Sexual Identities on the Commedia dell'Arte Stage. This image is dated from 1587 to 1594. It features two male actors and one actress on a simply constructed wooden stage. One of the actors dons a Commedia dell'arte mask while playing a fiddle-like instrument. When women first became players in Commedia dell'arte, they were obligated to play the female halves of the lover's couple. Women who played the lover always had their face exposed, since the lover character did not wear a mask. Characters like Capitano and Pantalone, however, were always played by males and donned masks as part of their costume. It was also common for women to play lowly characters such as the maid. For the most part, women did not portray characters that held power or control in the story, which was a parallel situation to their roles in real life. Due to the social structure and religious beliefs of the time, it was uncommon and frowned upon for women to perform on stage. The courageous women who performed Commedia dell'arte hundreds of years ago set the stage for women in the ever-evolving entertainment industry of today. Commedia dell'arte was the most popular form of entertainment in Italy during its heyday, and many female civilians in the cities flocked to the various troops, wishing to take part and earn a living wage. Nowadays, countless people flock to the seemingly whimsical lands of Hollywood and New York City with the hopes of becoming rich and famous. While the road to success is not easy for modern actors of either gender, it was rare for women back then to be accepted into a Commedia dell'arte troupe, and nearly impossible for them to be treated with respect. As Rosalind Kerr frankly states, if the need to earn a living drove women to the stage, then a connection with prostitution seems likely, all the more so because unmarried women had little public status. What a relief it is to know that in present day, at least in most developed and progressive countries, that the majority of men have evolved the decency not to assume that women involved in the arts are prostitutes. I'll remind you that's a quote from a paper I'm reading. But back to Jessica Lamb. Actresses may have taken to the stage in Europe as early as the 1620s. This was a tumultuous time for women performers, as they were commonly harassed and berated during performances. Even when faced with public ridicule, women continued their conquest of the stage. In 1660, a movement known as the Restoration set off a wave of changes within the theatre. With support from the king, women were finally permitted to perform in major productions. The movement marked a huge shift in the collective attitude towards female performers. For the first time in history, it seemed like society was beginning to acknowledge the value of women actors. Still, actresses of the 17th century experienced only a gradual rise in status. Female playwrights in Europe emerged during the latter half of the 17th century. The earliest women playwrights, including Afra Ben and Susanna Centolivre, brought women's voices and perspectives to the spotlight for the first time. These playwrights didn't shy away from controversial women-centric topics, Ben even used her disdain for forced marriage as inspiration for some of her productions. Early women playwrights also used their platform to write heroic, dynamic, and autonomous female characters. As for female actors, they sometimes played male characters, even though the opposite had happened in the past. A quote from Ken Jewitz from the Harvard Gazette. One might expect the admission of women on stage to be related to a demand for greater realism, but the actual result was not only that men and women got to play roles appropriate to their gender, but that the impersonation of the opposite sex could now go both ways. For the next few centuries, women's achievements in theatre continued to gain momentum. 
In the United States, the late 19th and early 20th centuries were a breakthrough period for women in the performing arts. Female performers came to enjoy a lively, prominent place under the dazzling Broadway lights. Women helped change the dynamic of theatre in the second half of the 19th century and were directly responsible for the rise in its popularity. Augustine Daly noted that in the late 1800s, women made up the majority of theatre-goers. The emergence of matinee girls, young women who would attend plays unescorted. It was not just inside the theatre that women were influencing the trends. Broadway was a boulevard of spectacle where women could indulge their needs for display and competitiveness in beauty and dress. The late 1800s also saw an influx of women to careers in theatre. The US census shows that from 1870 to 1880, the number of women who declared actress as their profession rose from 780 to 4,652. That's an increase of 596%. By 1910, that number was 15,432, up 332%. This surge of women to the stage, that saw 25 new women to every one man, was signified not only by economic opportunity, but by social and sexual independence. Women obtained wealth, mobility, and social power through their newfound dominance in the theatre. The life of an actress, however, was not always a glamorous one. While stars could command a salary of up to $150 a week, most chorus or ballet girls made between $10 and $25. Most actors were not paid for rehearsal time, since the theatre season lasted for only 30 or 40 weeks a year, players could usually expect long layoffs. While beauty was in demand, and of course an asset for an actress in terms of landing a role, even more importantly was the quality of her dress. Featured actresses were expected to supply their own costumes, which would cost between $300 and $400 a season. Newspaper columnists often devoted a good deal of space to a wardrobe review. Beyond the economic adversity, there was also a competitive and not very friendly work environment. With that benefit of drama school, most aspiring actresses would go from office to office looking for work. If they were able to get past the obstructionist office boys, they often encountered sexual advances from theatre managers. Or indifference. For all the apparent drawbacks of life on stage, there was also glamour, excitement, and the public admiration that so many women saw as appealing. The theatre lured women to its audience, as well as its professional ranks, and in doing so, grew as an industry, and gave women, who were normally held to jobs that were unrewarding both economically and personally, an opportunity to make a go for it and become a star. With actresses seeing new potential for independence and economic power, the theatre was truly beginning to seem like a woman's world. Although American women found a more inclusive place on stage, they still struggled to escape oppressive system of gender discrimination. Like the ones before them, scores of brilliant women have fought hard for visibility within the modern theatre. Now this next bit is a little controversial, so please forgive any errors I make. But it seems that Brecht, one of the major contributors to epic theatre, may well have been taking credit for the work of women in the Berlin Ensemble. More from Imre Kova's article in The Independent. According to John Fugge, an American scholar, Brecht's female ensemble members pen most of the words in such hits as the Three Penny Opera and the Caucasian Chalk Circle. It seems Brecht's most important muse was Elizabeth Hauptmann, credited by the playwright with the translation of John Gay's The Beggar's Opera. But Hauptmann, a literary editor, in fact may have written 80-90% to 90% of the Brecht adaptation, The Threepenny Opera, which catapulted him to fame. She became Brecht's lifelong mistress, accompanying the writer to exile in Denmark, Russia, and the US. Hauptmann was to co-author many other Brecht plays without ever appearing on the cover of any of them. Margaret Steffen is thought to have been the inspiration behind Galileo and the Good Woman of Szechuan. Ruth Berlau, a Danish stage director who joined Brecht's coterie in 1933 and followed him all the way to East Berlin. While she was not roped into writing, 
Herc ideas came into the fore in production, an important dimension to the Brecht experience. Now we can talk a little bit about some modern women who are kicking goals as directors and creatives, and this is by no means an exhaustive list. Katrin Brack, avant-garde German designer. Her set designs and direction are truly unique, as Katrin Brack explores a range of everyday materials in her work. Foam, confetti, smoke, and more are all used to explore the relationship actors have to their set. In 2017, she was awarded the Golden Lion at the Venice Theatre Banale for her life's work. A quick googling will show you just how beautiful her work is. Julie Taymor, director. Julie Taymor was the first woman to win a Tony for directing, and after seeing her world-renowned productions, it's easy to see why. The theatre icon is known for her use of ornate masks and intricate puppetry, as continues to be featured in Broadway's The Lion King to dazzle audiences. Her work expands far beyond the lights of Broadway as well, having directed film and opera and authored multiple books. Margot Jones was an influential American stage director and producer, best known for launching the American regional theatre movement and for introducing the theatre in the round concept in Dallas, Texas. Judith Molina was a German-born American theatre and film actress, writer and director. She co-founded The Living Theatre, a radical political theatre troupe that rose to prominence in New York City and Paris during the 1950s and 60s. Dame Gillian Barbara Lynn is a British theatre and television director noted for her popular theatre choreography associated with the musical Cats and the current longest-running show in Broadway history, The Phantom of the Opera. Susan P. Stroman is an American theatre director, choreographer, film director and performer. She is a five-time Tony Award winner, four for Best Choreography and one as Best Director of a Musical for The Producers. Lorraine Vivian Hansbury was an American playwright and writer. She was the first black woman to write a play performed on Broadway. Her best-known work, a play called A Raisin in the Sun, highlights the lives of black Americans living under racial segregation in Chicago. Rachel Chavkin. Although a theatre veteran, Rachel Chavkin set Broadway aflame in her debut production of Natasha, Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812, scoring the director a Tony nomination in the process. Next up for this creative powerhouse is Town, whose off-Broadway production, which she directed, was lauded by critics across the board and has recently won a Tony Award. Chavkin's tendency to produce vibrant, immersive theatre is a testament to her ability to create worlds for audiences. Pam McKinnon. Pam McKinnon is fearless when it comes to taking on text-heavy plays, especially those of the late Edward Albee. McKinnon's heartbreaking 2013 revival of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf scored her a Tony win, with her production of A Delicate Balance and Clybourne Park also asking theatre-goers timeless questions through seamless storytelling. Diane Paulus. Be it Swamp or Circus, Diane Paulus can create it on stage. Having created the swirling carnival that was the 2013 revival of Pippin, Paulus employed acrobatics and aerial dance to really give the players some magic to do. Her 2011 revival of Porgy and Best used wood and earth tones to transport riveted audiences all the way to Catfish Row. Susan Stroman Not only does this Broadway veteran create hypnotic choreography, but she's just as comfortable shaping a show's entire process as director. With hits like The Producers, The Scottsboro Boys, Contact, and The Music Man under her directorial belt, Stroman made herself a legend on Broadway. We're sure that her best is somehow still yet to come. Kate Blanchett, that's right. Our Kate Blanchett, the wonderful Australian actress, is also lauded for her direction. If you don't know much about what Kate Blanchett does as a director, please go onto Google and have a look at what Kate Blanchett has done for Australian theatre and theatre internationally. This episode was created thanks to a huge number of people, so please do look through the episode description to find all the links and resources I will provide for you. 
According to Works by Women, it is estimated that women playwrights, directors and designers represent only 20% of all theatre professionals hired each year. Creative women face many other forms of oppression, including sexism, racism, ableism, homophobia and transphobia. The women of today's theatre are actively working to change this. Here are two examples of the many organisations working towards parity in the theatre. Each year, the Kilroys assemble a list that specifically illuminates new plays by female, trans and women of colour. Works by Women is committed to achieving parity by elevating women theatre professionals and empowering women audiences to get involved with its mission. Well, that is all from us at The Aside. There are a load of episodes in the bank, so feel free to go through those and find one that piques your interest. If you would like to ask us a question or you have a suggestion for a future episode, do not hesitate to contact us at asidepodcast at outlook.com. If you're enjoying the aside, please feel free to share your good experiences on social media. We are at Aside Podcast on Facebook. Thank you to Eltham College for letting us record here. Thank you to Aaron Searle for providing the music. Thank you to Drama Victoria for their ongoing support. And of course, thank you for listening.